Listen to the word of God in Ezekiel chapter 20. In a desert, I said to their children, don't follow your parents' regulations, observe their case laws, or become defiled by their idols. I am the Lord your God. Follow my regulation, observe my laws, and do them. Make my Sabbath holy and let them be a sign between us that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They didn't follow my regulations to observe my case laws, which bring life to all who observe them. They also degraded my Sabbath. So I declared that I would pour out my wrath on them and satisfy my anger against them in the desert. But I restrained myself in acting for the sake of my name so it wouldn't be diminished in the sight of the nations who saw me lead them out of Egypt. And I swore yet another solemn pledge in the desert that I would disperse them among the nations and scatter them throughout the earth because they did not observe my case laws, they rejected my regulations, and they degraded my Sabbaths while they kept looking to their parents' idols. This is the word of God. By now, we started to get a feeling that practicing Sabbath series has been not as much as about rethinking Seventh-day Adventist way of Sabbath traditions or what we do or not do on Sabbath, but it is rather how Sabbath affects us. While hearing from last year pastors about practicing Sabbath, we had our views and practices Sabbathized, so to speak. Pastor Duvald reminded us that Sabbath stopped us from spinning out of control in workload whirlwind, whirlwinds and overcommitment hurricanes. Can we do life as a wonderful play, a Sabbath play with the divine, Pastor Beth asked. Pastor Raven reminded of the Sabbath's healing power, which Jesus so compellingly demonstrated, restoring not only a person's withered hand, but the status in a society. Indeed, Sabbath meant to have a wide spectrum of implications in human lives. It is about slowing down, playfulness, physical, emotional, and economic healing. And today I would like us to ponder sabbathizing one more aspect of human life, our social structures. Sabbath can profoundly affect personal and individual lives, but it has the ability to reshape social institutions, communities, and societies. In other words, Sabbath should be more about us and ours rather than me and mine. The seventh day is us. Not only us as fellow citizens of this planet, but us as an abiding relationship between the Creator and the creation, the Redeemer and the redeemed, the Holy One and the pre-Holy Ones, also known as sinners. Don't take my word for it. Remember verse 20 from the passage we just read. Make my Sabbaths holy and let them be a sign between us that I am the Lord your God. I don't know about you, I felt very uneasy reading strong words from Ezekiel about God who barely keeps the divine cool, who ended up laying down the hammer of punishment for violating the Sabbath. The Sabbath as the indicator of breaking the covenant between God and Israel. I'm not sure we're too comfortable with God like that. Kind of rubs wrong way 
doesn't fit our 21st century sensitivities and social etiquettes. But the Creator does not seem to be too preoccupied with our feelings when our faith is faltering into patterns of self-destruction. And with that, let's imagine ourselves for a few minutes in the middle of the Sinai Desert. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 through 17. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, Be sure to keep my Sabbath, because the Sabbath is a sign between me and you. In every generation, you will know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who violates the Sabbath will be put to death. Whoever does not work on the Sabbath, that person will be cut off from the people. Do your work for six days, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of complete rest that is holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day will be put to death. The Israelites should keep the Sabbath. They should observe the Sabbath in every generation as a covenant for all time. It is a sign forever between me and the Israelites that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day the Lord rested and was refreshed. Not to get too geeky here, but translating or reading this text, some Old Testament scholars believe that there is direct correlation between the text of Ezekiel we heard in the beginning and the passage that we just read in Exodus 31. The reason to believe and to make that connection between those two texts is the small three-letter word eot, which is Hebrew for sign. The word eot, the sign, mentioned about 80 times in the Hebrew Bible, but in the relationship to Sabbath, only two times. You have probably guessed Sabbath as a sign of the covenant is only mentioned in Exodus 31 and Ezekiel 20. There is more obvious parallelity of the six days of creation followed by the seventh day of the Sabbath, as we read in the creation story in Genesis, and the six days on Mount Sinai, followed by the seventh day when Moses is summoned to the presence of God, as we read in the story preceding the passage we just read in Exodus. Now we see the connection from Ezekiel to Exodus, and then from Exodus to Genesis. Sabbath plays the vital role as a sign of creation and liberation. Creation was the challenge against the systemic darkness and chaos in Genesis 1, and liberation was the pushback against systemic racism and oppression in Egypt. Last week, Pastor Raven reminded us that in Mark 3, Sabbath is the hand stretched to reach out and help. And I believe in Exodus, Sabbath is a fist raised in the air. It's a knee taking its aversion of the system of injustice. A Sabbath as a fist, maybe too strong of a sign, too violent, maybe from a different world, too uncomfortable for us. Verse 14, everyone who violates Sabbath will be put to death. That sounds so strong. I almost want to say, ouch. I once had a boss who wanted me to take an assignment, which I accepted, 
And a couple of months later, he saw me and said, I'm glad you accepted the assignment. And I replied, did I really have a choice? To which he said, of course you had a choice, but there are good choices and bad choices. So this is my struggle. My cognitive dissonance, as professional licensed soul readers would describe it. God who frees Israel, give them Sabbath as a day of rest, as a day to play, as a day to heal, to recover. But if they don't accept, if they don't accept that, God will kill them. That doesn't sound too gracious, not very loving kindly or steadfastly loving of God. You do what I say or else. That's how it comes across. Is that who our God is? Come on. Maybe it was just a Jewish idiom. Maybe we don't understand something here. I grew up in a very Jewish town where Russian language was heavily influenced by Yiddish. And so to the point that actually it starts sounding as a, as a very distinct dialect. There's, there's such thing as Odessa's language. I remember more than once how a mother would yell at the child going, um, who walked too far into the stormy seawaters or too close to the edge of the cliff. Boga, I'm going to kill you right now. Get out there or you will drown. Of course, the phrase, I'm going to kill you right now, was said with the, all the love of a Jewish mother bear. Maybe God simply wants Israelite not to mess with the Sabbath. Maybe he says, I'm going to kill you in a loving kind of way and didn't really mean it. Did anyone actually die for breaking the Sabbath? Yeah? You thought we had a problem with Ezekiel 20 and Exodus 31. How about Numbers? Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 through 36. When the Israelites were in the desert, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses, Aaron, and the entire community. They placed him in custody because it wasn't clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man should be put to death. The entire community should stone him outside the camp. The entire community took him outside the camp and stoned him. He died as the Lord had commanded Moses. They hoped that what Moses heard on Mount Sinai on that seventh day when he was summoned to God about Sabbath was a loving parental warning not dying for picking up a few sticks on Sabbath. They knew what to do when they took that poor wood gatherer to, to Moses and Aaron, the entire community. They knew what to do. They knew the commandments said very clear that person should die. But they were hoping deep inside that maybe God did not mean it in such a harsh way. They knew what to do, and yet they came to Moses hoping, but not. Fists erased up with the stones in them. The story of the poor wood gatherer is known as a hard case. The hard case is seen as one where the legal rules conflict without intuitive understanding of the requirements of justice. 
Simply put, the punishment seems too harsh for the crime. Come on, God, just let us just point or wave a finger at him, not clench the fist with a stone. What makes Sabbath violation a hard case here? Seems like overreaction, isn't it? I can't, I, can't, I can't help but think of the story of Genesis 3 and um, the sword in the, fe- in the feast of an angel evicting Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. Why such a visceral reaction on the part of God? There on the Sinai, God was creating a new nation out of darkness of slavery and the chaos of socioeconomic oppression was shaping an identity of the new nation, new people. The fight was more than the stand between God and Pharaoh. It was a cosmic stale battle for a radically new way of seeing and living in the world. And when Pharaoh raised his spear to throw at the children of Israel, God raised the fist holding the Moses staff. We know the the end of that battle. So very similar to a seemingly benign act of tasting a piece of fruit in the Garden of Eden, when God warned not to do that, not the big deal, just try a little bit of fruit. Very similarly, picking up the sticks on Sabbath meant something more than violating dietary regulation or campsite rules and regulations. To understand Exodus 31 and Numbers 15, the death for gathering sticks on Sabbath, it might be helpful to recall what was happening in Egypt before, before they were ready to march out. In Exodus chapter 5, we find the description and the life of Israel in Egypt. When they were forced to back-breaking labor, that wouldn't be impossible to do. They were tasked to build bricks and they were not even given the straws in order to make them. They were supposed to go and collect those straws themselves. Exodus 5 verse 7, don't supply the people with the straw they need to make bricks like you did before, Pharaoh says, let them go out and gather the straw for themselves. That phrase, gather the straw, uses the same word, the same verb as in the story from Numbers 15 that we read about gathering the sticks. Gather the straw for themselves and gathering the sticks on Sabbath, the same Hebrew word, kashash. Thus, gathering sticks to cut manna on Sabbath signified and brought memories of Egyptian enslavement and pharaonic genocide, again, against Jews. That practice was stopped by God's intervention. The issue was not an act, but the system behind the act. The very system that almost eradicated all 13 tribes of Israel, that system was raising raising its bloody hand, gathering the sticks for the fire. What shall we do with this God? What shall we do with this man who who just maybe made a mistake, oh, almighty, can we only slap his wrist? He's one of us. And God replied, no, 
is not us. You must raise your fist. This is the matter of life and death. The enslaved past and the future freedom, idolatrous, self-serving, and a communal worship. Sabbath was the fist raised against the system of oppression and injustice. We can only speculate if raising the fist would not happen in that episode. What would happen? What if they just slapped his wrist? Would there be a nation of Israel? Would I have my children, Rita and Fletcher? That's right, my wife, my wife's father was a Jewish man, which makes my children about quarter Jewish. I once jokingly mentioned to a rabbi that my, 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 my kids about one-fourth Jews. His eyes turned the size of his hat. He grabbed my hand, wrapped around his tits, the tassels that uh, Hasidic Jews are wearing, and actually the commandment to do that comes right after the description of the story in Numbers 15. So there's the connection there because those tassels were a reminder of, of people to see God's faithfulness in a covenant. So he wraps those titsis or tassels around my wrist. He starts rocking, rocking back and forth. I said, Rabbi, what are you doing? I asked. Not stopping, rocking back and forth, he said, praying for your children. Do you realize that if Hitler was in power, you would have to say goodbye to your children right now. You would never see them again. And his fist pounded at my chest. Sabbath was a part of life-preserving and life-freeing identity. Tzitzis right wrapped around the lives of people after the story of um, wood gathering would only emphasize the importance the sign of that covenant. The wood gatherer, for all practical purposes, became reincarnation of pharaonic powers, rising again against the Almighty of Israel. At times, I wonder if God got more frustrated with Pharaoh's, with, with, with Pharaoh's Egypt or with Israelites who would not let go of their Egyptian codependency. Sounds almost like a cliche. Apparently, it's easier to take people out of Egypt rather than to take Egypt out of people. Before I finish, I want to circle back to Ezekiel 20, the text with which we started today. We're not in Egypt anymore, but in Babylon. Different era, but the same issues. Exposing the dangerous dangerous of compromising the holiness of Sabbath, the author encouraged seeking new ways of restoring holiness of Sabbath as something eternal, not temporary. The new ways are not necessarily have to repeat what your parents did. And the language of parents is quite explicit. You don't have to do the same thing. Find the new way. To keep the Sabbath is constantly finding a new way in seeing new inspiration, seeing new insight in the Sabbath, the gift of Sabbath, this continues to develop, continues to open up our horizons. Today, we're not in Egypt, nor Babylon. When pharaohs, kings, and Hitlers are gone, 
what the Sabbath can symbolize and what it stands for us today, what it stands against today, what systems today denied people the right to equity or just inclusion, what systems challenge perpetuate racism, bigotry, greed, and narcissism, which of our values, habits, and practices need to be sabotaged today? I think, I think Sabbath is one of the main reasons why descendants of Abraham, Moses, and David were able to survive the pharaohs, Nebuchadnezzars, and Hitlers. I'm pretty sure if it were not for one of the descendants of Abraham, I would not be even standing in front of you today. This is my, my testimony, so to speak. I was only a couple weeks old basically an infant baby Adventist. At the end of my junior year in college, I was assigned to go through a three-month internship. Without completing the internship at the factory, I would not receive my diploma. There's so much hard work, uh, three years of studies, and I would be kicked out of, out of college on my senior year. It would be complete waste. I was assigned to the pretty good factory. The only problem with the factory was that it was doing some secret stuff, military communication equipment. Um, I was led to a huge floor. You had to do some security clearance. And on the floor, about 5,000 people were working huge. We were making the boxes that would allow to use high-power electric um, um, uh, connections for, for military communications. That would, it was before cell phones. The wires had to be used, but it was pretty cool stuff, and I really enjoyed doing it. And first few days were just fantastic until Friday, when um, our form um, person came and told us that we have to come back to work because we need to finish um, the, what we needed to be finished by the end of the week, and we were not done, and we had to come back on Saturday. When she told us that, I got chills in my back. I, I, I heard the stories during the Soviet Union about Adventists and being persecuted for the Sabbath. And I feel here I am. I came to the, um, our boss and I told her that I'm not going to be able to come. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist and we don't work on Sabbath. She said, well, you're going to get kicked out. We're going to fail you on your internship. You're going to get kicked out of college. Um, we'll see how that works out for you. I sat down, completely dumbfounded. My mouth dried, and my, my, my mind was racing. I was, none of my family were Adventists. Uh, my parents, I, I, I mean, I don't know if I would survive if I come home and tell them, that I just dropped out of college for that reason. I don't remember even seeing anybody or hearing anything. Somebody put the hand on my shoulder and said, uh, the, the, my boss's boss, the person who was in charge of the entire floor, was inviting me to his office. I walked into the office, closed the door, it was much quieter. He sat in a comfortable chair, not a very tall man. 
He looked at me and he said, what is that I hear? You're not going to work on Sabbath. You're not going to work on Saturday. And I said, no, it is Sabbath day and I want to keep it according to the Ten Commandments. I am Seventh-day Adventist. He looked at me. He said, tell me more about Sabbath. And of course, I was going on and on about Exodus 20 and Ten Commandments and Deuteronomy 5 and everything, how it was written. I couldn't tell if he was listening or not, but after a while, it became clear that he wasn't. It appeared that he was deep inside of his own thoughts. Finally, he lifted his eyes, looked me straight in the eye, and said, you know, I'm Jewish. I'm going to let you come on Sunday. We're going to give you the key. We're going to clear your security. You're going to come. You're going to work on Sunday by yourself. We're going to put everything in the end of the assembly line. We're going to leave it for you. You're going to have your workload. You're going to work by yourself. It's going to be a lot more work than you would typically do. But it is your choice. I don't remember how I walked out of his office. I don't think I even touched the door. Maybe I went right through it, not even touching the floor as well. I will never forget how for the next three months I was walking every Sunday by myself, working in the huge factory, trying to imagine how the rest of my life would look like. I needed that. I don't know what would happen to me if I were not rescued by that Jewish man whose name I don't even remember. He wasn't a practicing Jew. It just his people remember the meaning of Sabbath, and he bent the system. So a scared 18-year-old baby Adventist could have his faith Sabbathized. I needed that Sabbath experience because it taught me what God can do. God sabotaged my faith very early in my walk. God's purpose for all human beings is to discover how to be sabbathized people rather than to know Sabbath do's and don'ts. I say this with a great deal of respect to practices of our predecessors who taught us the importance of the Sabbath. We should talk and think about that, no doubt. But to renew holiness of the seventh day is letting God to Sabbath us into becoming the people of the promised land rather than remaining Pharaoh serving women and men. What if the beauty of keeping the Sabbath is not in protecting good old days or traditions, but it is in forming the renewed understanding of what it means to live as God's people? As I'm writing these words, Newsfeed brings another horrific update of a mass shooting in Boulder, Colorado. Ten people lost their lives. A student town. My children's friends are in Boulder. They had to post safe on their Facebook status. I'm sure some of you have friends and family there. Last week it was shooting in Georgia with eight people dead. This is as evil as one can imagine. What if we sabotage our gun control laws? What words would we find? What if the words Shabbat Shalom or Sabbath peace would indeed have life-changing and life-saving power if we apply it 
to these aspects of our lives. If it looks like Sabbath is a life of death issue for God, it is. I think we're onto something here. The punishment by death meant to identify acts of breaking the Sabbath with the systemic idolatry of Egypt and idolatrous injustices of Babylon. Death as the consequence of violating the holiness of Sabbath meant to signal that there would be no return to Egypt. God had enough of Egypt, enough of Pharaoh, enough of slavery. It is time to come out of Egypt, come out of Babylon. God's people have to realize that God always brings the end to evil and its systems. That was not true. There would be no need to wait for Jesus' second coming. Jesus raised his fist both his hands, in fact, against all systems of evil, of the past, present, and the future. With his pierced fists on the cross, he sabotaged, subverted the systems of injustice and powers of oppression, pointing us to the direction of the holiness based on equity, compassion, self-sacrifice, mercy, and love. Maybe that was why Jesus said in Matthew 12, 8, the human one is the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen.